Hey, what's up? Man, it's been, um, it's been like maybe two years since I preached last, I think. Is that right? It's close to that. All right, maybe a year and three quarters. It's been a while, so I'm a little rusty. I haven't done this in a while, but um, so listen, I've been, um, I've been really excited to get back with you and to be able to teach through the Word. I'm really pumped about it. This is, a, this is an awesome passage. Um, there's a lot going on in it, okay? And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read through read through this text. So we're going to hit Luke 19, 28 through 44. I'm going to read through the text, and as we go, I'm going to try and connect some dots for you and try to help the, this passage kind of illuminate um, for you. And then I'm, then I'm going to uh, make a few observations to help it be applicable, okay? Um, so we are in this series called Shift, and this is, week, this is part three of Shift. And remember, Paul taught us at, uh, at the front end of this thing that a shift is not about seeing things, um, seeing different things. It's about seeing things differently, okay? So not about, like, you uncovering new things, but you seeing things differently. And that's kind of where all these passages that are in this series seem to point to a shift of thinking for people. Um, so I'll go ahead and give you... And I'm notoriously bad at big ideas, and I'm not confident I didn't actually subconsciously rip this one off from a la- like a previous study. Well, no, the actual big idea. So the big idea, and if you're taking notes, um, I'm going to throw a lot of passages at you today. I encourage you to jot them down so you can um, look through them on your own later. But the big idea today is if Jesus is king, that changes everything. So I think I ripped that off, but it's applicable today. Still, if Jesus is king, that changes everything. The inflection was right on the right syllables. All right, here you go. All right, so if you will uh, turn to me, Luke 19. I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard Bible. That's just because that's the Bible that um, I I like to use. Pick that up in college. I don't care what Bible you read it out of. Um, It's going to be on the screen in my version, but you can follow along, um, you know, we're, we're, we uh, say you read it out of whatever, okay? The Spirit of God is not big enough to teach you and move based on a Bible translation, then there's a problem, all right? So, so you just take your Bible, and if you want to follow along on the screen, it'll be there, okay? That cool? That makes sense? All right, here we go. You ready? All right, Luke 19. Let's pick up in verse 28. It says, After he, Jesus had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Pause, okay? What things? Anybody remember last week? What things was he just talking about? Come on, shout it out. What was he talking about last week? The what? The nobleman and what? The servants and the minus. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so it's it's the story about how the master gave uh, three servants three different amounts of money, and one of them, one of them like doubled it, and the second one doubled his, and the other one like hid it away, and the master was not cool with that. And Paul talked about how when the master came back, he inspected what was invested. And so we pointed to how, to how Jesus does expect us to take what he has given and to, to put it to use, to multiply it for the sake of the kingdom. And he said the king will inspect what he's asked us to invest. And the, he also said last week, which is really good, the mission of Jesus shifts us from making our lives safe to making them count. And the third servant, you remember the third servant, he was focused on being safe. And so he hid that money away because he was afraid of what the master might do to him. But that was the wrong call. We want, he should have been living by faith to serve the master while he was gone. So Jesus has just taught this story, okay? And then, interesting enough, he, he tells his disciples to go and get something. So I can only imagine that they, are, they have got this freshly in their mind, Okay, they've got to, right? So let's pick up. We only made it through half that first verse, so go to 28, the second half of it. He was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Let's keep reading. Um, When he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, 
he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on, um, tied on which no one has yet ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, well, the Lord has need of it. Let's pause. All right. So, again, back to that story last week. Jesus is like, go steal that donkey. I want you to go next door. There's a donkey. Take it. Anybody says, why are you taking my donkey? Just tell them the Lord needs the donkey. Okay? And these guys just heard this story about how they weren't, didn't do with what God had asked. And so I can only imagine, man, they are coming back fighting over who is holding the reins of the donkey right. I am not going to be the one that the master's upset with because I didn't bring the donkey back, right? So he says, go get the donkey. Okay? If that rings bells for you, for a couple reasons, it should. So you're on the right track. Let's look at, I'm going to look at a couple other passages. One, that's a prophecy, okay, a prophecy from the Old Testament that points to Jesus coming, the Messiah coming. But even before that, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning of our Bibles. So flip with me to uh, Genesis chapter 22. We're going to do some reading. That one's not, probably not going to be up on your screen. I don't think I asked for that one up on the screen. But you stick with me. I'm going to read through that, okay? So chapter 22 of Genesis is where we have the first occasion of an only son, a donkey, and the Mount of Olives, version 1. Here's what it says. Now, it came about uh, after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said to Abraham, Here I am. Now, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll tell you. So Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled the donkey, and he took two of his young men with him. Interestingly enough, two two of the men that he sent with him to help him get the, get the stuff there. On the third day, he raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there and we'll worship and we'll return to you. And the story goes on to say that, man, Isaac carried the wood for the, um, the offering on his back or in his arms and they went up to the mountain and... God had called him to offer up his son as a sacrifice. His maybe late teenage to early 30s son somewhere in there. His only son. The son that God had promised. The only child that he had. And so Abraham was faithful to him. And his son looks at him and asks, you know, where's the, where's the, the, the lamb for the offering? He's putting two, two together. There's, I got the wood and we're here. We got a fire. But where is the, where's the animal for the offering? And and Abraham looks at him and he says, God will provide. God will provide it. And so he was following through, and the angel stops, and the Lord calls out and says, stop, don't sacrifice your son. And then he looks up, and you remember what happens next? What's, what's, what's the right around the corner? There's a, there's a ram, right, like stuck in some briars, and God did provide that ram. So they offer that up as a sacrifice, and they don't, he doesn't sacrifice his son. That points ahead all these years to what Jesus is going to go do. What's really interesting, I'm not trying to get all dogmatic on it and make it like this one for one, but 2 Chronicles 3.1 tells us that that's where Solomon built God's temple. Now, the temple where Jesus enters and goes super saiyan next week. Nobody, Dragon Ball Z? All right. There's always like a couple I can count on. So that temple is actually a rebuild of Solomon's temple. Solomon's was destroyed like around 500 B.C. or something like that um, by the Babylonians. And they, re- they basically start rebuilding it and they keep rebuilding it until it is destroyed the second time. But this is the place, the place where God called Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice is the place where the temple was built. And then all these years later, in the new temple up there, in that same area, that same mountainous region, is where Jesus enters the picture and says, I am that sacrifice that he was going to give to you. Let's connect another dot. Zechariah, man, I know the pages of that are weary in your Bible. Spend time in Zechariah. Um, I will pull it up for you. It says... 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, and he is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a amazing chariot with this giant horse, guns blazing. No, he is mounted on a donkey. Even on a colt, the foal of a donkey, not even like a big donkey, like a, like a little donkey, right? That was a promise of old that the Messiah was coming, the salvation of God was coming to their people. From the very beginning, before Abraham in that story in Genesis 22, there was reconciliation, peace with God promise that would come through a man. And scriptures like that pointed to it. This is one of those. Let's go back into Luke, okay? All right, we're back over into Luke, and now we've got an only son, a donkey, in the Mount of Olives version 2. We see that Jesus is now the lamb for the burnt offering that Abraham was trusting God would, would provide. So what we see in these pictures is that God spared us because our lives could not pay for our sins. So this is, this is the good news. Okay, we'll go ahead and get the, the gospel out up front. All right, we're going to wait till the end. He spared us because our lives were not adequate to pay for our sins. Same thing with Isaac. I mean, that wouldn't accomplish anything because Isaac's was not any more adequate than ours to pay for his sins. But our sins could indeed be paid for by Jesus, his life. So he didn't spare his son. He spared you and me and Isaac, but not his son. So that's the first really important thing to get right here in this passage in Luke is that he is fulfilling this prophecy and even says he did this in another, in another one of the accounts. This is in all of the four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all talking about this triumphal entry is what it's called. And it says he fulfilled this prophecy that the king would come in not, not on a giant horse sword drawn, but humbly on a donkey. And we'll talk about why that's really important later. Let's keep going through the text. So Go, to, uh, go back to the verse 31 in Luke 19. All right. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. All right, so verse 31. If anyone asks what he says, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. Verse 32. So those who were sent away found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, sure enough, Surprise, surprise, his owners are like, why are you stealing my donkey? And they said, the Lord has need of it? Oh, okay, cool. And so then they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. Keep going. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives... Remember back in Genesis, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise joyfully. Let's pause for a minute. A couple more things are happening. So it did happen. They did obey. They went next door, sounding nuts, but they took that donkey. They brought him back. They put Jesus on the donkey. They threw their coats down on the ground so that he could walk over their coats. This in of itself is, is another thing. It's another one of a bunch of stuff right here that points to Jesus as the king, as the Messiah. All right, you got to get from the beginning of our scripture on, there's always this promise that a king is coming that's going to restore things. It's going to help, help us to have peace with God, that is going to be the savior of mankind, that's going to forgive us of our sins. And Jesus is now saying, that is me. Remember how many times Jesus would like do something he would heal somebody. He would perform a miracle. And a lot of times, what would he say? Do you remember? And it kind of was, it was odd. It kind of stuck out. It's like, why would you say that? You remember? He'd say, man, don't tell anybody about that. Don't, don't, don't say anything about that. Just look, you are well. Go and, you know, love on people. Don't tell anybody this yet. This is not that. This is the moment where he walks in and he, thing after thing after thing, event after event, is pointing to the fact that, yes, I am, I am him. I'm the one that was promised. 
I am the king, I am the Messiah, that is me. Even the thing with the coats. We find if you go look in um, 2 Kings 9.13, that's something that they did for kings. The kings of Israel, man, they would, they would lay down their coats on the ground so that the king could walk over them. Everything's pointing to him being the king. Let's keep going. Matthew 21 is where you find this account if you want to jot it down. So Matthew 21, Mark 11, and John 12 are the, where you find the accounts of the triumphal entry in the other Gospels. In all of them, here's what the people are shouting. Let's go back and reread it first in Luke. All right, I'm in, I'm in, 30, I'm in 37. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were shouting that in all of these accounts. They were saying in the other ones, this term Hosanna, you know the, the term Hosanna that we sing like around Easter time. We don't, maybe we don't actually know what it means, but we sing it because it, we know it's something about Jesus. They were, they were shouting out son of David. They were shouting out king of Israel. All these things are super messianic terms and phrases. They are all claims that this man is the son of God who has been promised from long ago to take away the sins of the world and give us peace with God. Can we break down that word Hosanna, even that, for just a minute? Um, it's, a, it's an English word, Hosanna, because they didn't know how to translate it out of the Greek. So the Greek word is Hosanna, but they didn't know how to translate it either. So it's actually the, the, the Hebrew word, because that's where it was first and only found, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it because they didn't have vowels and stuff. And you're supposed to make guttural noises, right? Um, but it, it, it basically forms into the, the sort of the sound, Hosanna. And what it meant was literally what you would do if you jumped out of an airplane and forgot to put your parachute on. It's just pretend. Imagine, imagine you're in an airplane, you're going skydiving, you're crazy. Because there's really no good reason to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Um, I don't know, I might do it someday. I don't know. Imagine you did, and as soon as you, soon as you, your feet went off the edge, you realize, oh snap, I actually forgot to put the, the parachute on. What would you say? Shout it out. <laughs> nah, I, see, I was trying, trying to trick y'all, right? All right, let's just imagine then that you're actually hanging on, okay? You're actually, like your hands are on the platform or the door, and you haven't actually left contact with the plane yet, but you definitely don't have a parachute, what would you shout then to the people that are in there? Help. Save me. That's exactly what it means. That's what the word means. It means help, save me. And it's used one time, one time only in the, in the Old Testament. It's from Psalm 118, verse 25. And you can jot that down. Psalm 118, verse 25. I'm going to turn there real quick. Because I ran out of Bible markers. Because we jump around a lot today. All right. Anybody beat me there? You can shout it out. So here's what we got in this psalm. Verse 25, it says, Oh, Lord, do save. We beg you. Oh, Lord, we're begging you. Send prosperity. It means save us. Help us. In all of the accounts in Luke, they're saying that. They're also saying, blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You want to know where that's from? That's from the very next verse after Hosanna. So after they say, Lord, save us, we're begging you, is Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So these people connected the dots. They had connected the dots. They had said, this is salvation come to us. And so that word shifted over the years from then in, in Psalms in the Old Testament to, to not just meaning save me, fingers crossed, but it meant salvation is here from the Lord. It meant salvation is here from God. And to say that about Jesus 
is massive. To say that about this dude riding on a donkey is enormous. Do you get how big that was? They are saying the salvation of God has come. So everything, again, is pointing to the fact that Jesus is here and he is the king. And then real quick on the end of that verse, they also were shouting peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And if you remember back to the, to the beginning of this study, we started in Luke like eight years ago. What did the angels say about Jesus when he was born? What did they say? Peace to men. Man, peace has come. Micah, do you remember the book of Micah 2, chapter 5? Remember what that says? I do have that one marked. Micah chapter 5 is the one that says, it's a prophecy to Bethlehem, of all little rinky-dink places, that Bethlehem, a king is going to come from you. This one will be our peace. So have we, have we painted this picture well enough that Jesus was not just some dude. Jesus was the promised one. He was salvation come from God to all mankind. And so let's keep going. Chapter 19, we're back in Luke 39 through 44. We'll see that Jesus doesn't deny it. Okay, all people, they are joyfully shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd, and they saw him, and they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I don't know. If they become silent, then the stones will cry out. That's what Paul is telling you this morning. I don't know what to tell you. If, if I tell them to be quiet, something else is going to sing because the whole earth is like neon sign pointing to the fact that I'm the one you've been waiting on. And I really want you to see that and get that. He goes on to say, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. All right, hold on there. Let's talk about the Pharisees. They had said to Jesus, first of all, they call him teacher, as if to say, no, 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 you're not the Messiah. You're just a teacher. Then they said, your disciples, as if to say, man, these guys don't speak for us, the religious leaders, the religious elite. And then they told him, man, you rebuke them. Tell them they misunderstood you. They got this thing wrong. This, surely this is not actually what you really meant. Tell them they got it all wrong. If you look in the Matthew 21, the, um, the Matthew account of the triumphal entry, it says even the kids, man, were losing their minds with the fact that this was the Messiah. And they didn't, of course, the leaders didn't like that either. And Jesus says, man, the, the strength of God is from the praise of babies and infants. So don't forget that either. But he tells them if, this, if these people are silent, the rest of creation is going to cry out because it's undeniable that I am that king. So let's finish reading, all right? You, re- you good? You cool? All right, let's finish reading because we have to answer one more question in the text. Why in the heck is Jesus now crying? All right, there's like this Jesus party going on. He got, a, you know, he got a ride and everything, and he's crying. So we have to answer that. We've got to figure out what's going on. So verse 41, and we'll read the rest of, through 44 when we'll be done with that, okay? When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. But... Now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground. He's talking to the city and its people. They'll level you to the ground, your children within you, and they will not leave you one stone upon, the, upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. So why is he crying? You know, here's some, here's some suggestions. Because like 200 years back, you remember hearing about the Maccabean revolt in, in, of Israel? 200 years ago, man, these people's like great-grandparents were throwing their coats down on the ground, like, like praising this guy 
named, I want to make sure I don't get his name wrong, Simon Maccabeus. Man, they were, they were praising him, throwing their coats on the ground like he was king. You want to know why? Because he led a physical revolt to, con- to try and throw Rome out of their temple. Because, man, Rome was in control. Rome would occupy, and that's what these people wanted. They wanted somebody to get Rome out of here. We want our kingdom back. We want to be in charge. We want to run things. We want to rule the world as we, as we see it. And so that dude did, and, man, they threw their coats on the ground, stuck him on something, probably not a donkey, because people that want power don't want to be humbled on things like donkeys. So Jesus is crying in part because he remembers, I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot to satisfy you people. And right now you're really excited, but it doesn't take a lot to satisfy you. It takes a little sniff of power, and you can be satisfied. See why else? He knows in a few short days, and, and what, I, what I really like is that I'm really happy that we spent all this time in Luke, and we actually came really close to all this falling on Easter, but it didn't, because I think that makes us dig in a little bit harder and not, and not just, just kind of glaze over an, an Easter text. So you, you got the Easter story coming, so he knows that in a few short days, people shouting Hosanna right now will be shouting Barabbas. You remember that? The same people are like, it's Jesus, he's the Messiah, he's the king. In a couple days, they're going to be saying, give us Barabbas. Like, yeah, man, take Jesus. We don't like that dude anymore. Bye, Felicia. Right? Like that, it was like, give us Barabbas. So he knows that's coming. He also knows that it's not, he's not really what they're looking for. They just don't know it yet. Because, like I said, Jesus came not to conquer Rome with a sword, but death with a cross. I mean, they don't get that yet. They don't get that. Even though he fulfilled that prophecy that humbly I come riding on a donkey. Man, they don't get that. They still think, man, he is coming in. Cavalry is come. I don't know. that They think the angels are going to fall down on something and destroy Rome and give them their kingdom back. But he knows that's not what he's here to do. He also knows, and he prophesies, and won't spend much time here, but the rest of his passage about how the city will fall, that came true. You know, in just a few decades, maybe 40 years later, that came true. Um, there's another revolt of people trying to conquer Rome by the sword. You know, Rome has enough. They, uh, the emperor sends his son, General Titus, crushes Jerusalem and the temple, leaving nothing left but one wall of the, the second temple rebuild. All right, just one wall left. It's there today. You, some people call it the, the Wailing Wall. Um, it's probably more recognized as being called the Western Wall. I mean, there's just one wall left. That's it. That's all that's left of the temple. That's what Jesus tried to tell them. That's what's getting ready to happen. And so I know this place that I love, these people that I love, they're going to be destroyed in a few years. So he's crying over that. He's also weeping over the fact that he knows that God's been trying to tell Israel for a while now, man, you, are, you do not believe you don't believe, and they are unbelieving people, and so we're coming on this time when the Messiah actually did come, and they didn't believe, and so uh, Romans, book of Romans chapter 11 actually tells us that Paul says, God sent the good news to the Gentiles to make y'all jealous, because y'all just are not going to believe, and you are not going to be faithful and follow me, so he knows what's coming for his, for his people, for his race, he knows the painful journey back to faithfulness that it'll be. So that is the story of Jesus entering. Those are the things that are really important, okay? The triumphal entry is complete. The king has arrived, and he's walking to his death, which we'll preach through in a couple weeks coming up. All right, so let's do the shift now, okay? Here is the shift in all of this. If he's the king, that's got to change everything. Like, you can't. It can't not matter. Like, it had to mean something for those people. It had to change things when he walked into Jerusalem saying, I'm the guy. It demands a shift from everybody if Jesus is the Savior of the world. They've got to respond. Um, a great quote, if, uh, you've probably heard if you follow C.S. Lewis. Well, not follow him because uh, he's been gone a while. But if you read any of his stuff now, 
um, says Christianity, I think I got that quote, put this up there, because here's our shift, okay? Christianity, if false, is of no importance, all right? This is not true, it's not really important, you should not waste your time on it. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance, all right? So if it is true, and he really is the son of God, and salvation has been, has been brought to mankind, then that matters about everything, right? That's eternal significance. That, that means that the only way to be with God is through this man. So the one thing he says, the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. It can't just like sort of matter when you feel like it matters. I want you to chew on that a little bit because we've got to kind of shift from our king is here, so I might spend a little bit of time on him and reflecting on that to, man, that's deserving of all my time, all avenues of my life. If he's not the king, you're wasting your time. If he's a king, he's worthy of all your time. There's really not a middle ground. So I'm going to ask five questions real quick, and then we're going to be done. Here's what I'm going to do. Five questions I want to give you um, that are going to help you reflect on this passage and try to apply it. You know, it's hard, it's hard for you to leave if you haven't been told how to apply a passage, okay? So I wanna, I wanna answer you five questions. There's gonna be some passages up on the screen. We're not gonna read through them. I might reference some of those, but you can jot those down and kind of study later this week. And there's also just a really simple prayer written up on the screen. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is just, man, whichever one of these questions resonates the most with you this morning, Maybe it's two or three, I don't know. But just if one of these resonates with your soul, listen and respond accordingly by seeking God this week on it. Man, just clamp down and do work with God this week on whichever one of these questions resonates with your soul. Does that make sense? And then pray this and expand upon it. Here's what um, you need to, to know, though, is I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. All right, please don't hear guilt in this or ever, I don't think you ever hear guilt from our church when we're preaching because God did, God came, hear this, God did not come to crush you with guilt. He came to destroy the guilt that was already crushing you. He's not a giver of guilt, he's a giver of grace, okay? I'm just calling you to reflect, all right? I'm just calling you to kind of chew on a point of reflection on your life. I can't answer these questions for you. I won't attempt to. It's not, my, it's not my job to. I'm just calling you to reflect and look to the Lord and do work. Push in with him this week on these, okay? So here's the questions. Number one, will you steal the donkey? Will you steal the donkey? Man, I don't know. He, he told him to do a lot of things, but he just straight up told those guys, go next door all by yourselves and steal that donkey because I want it. And if they want to know why, just tell them I want it. And they did it. And it sounded crazy, but then they understood why they were doing it. And you might even, this might even have like a sub question of can you even find the donkey? Because can you hear from him right now? Are you even receptive to God speaking? Are you hearing him? So will you trust his call even when it sounds ridiculous? Are you pursuing God so you can even hear him clearly and be receptive to his voice? Man, will you do what he's calling you to? Will you, will you, will you share this with that person? Will you... Will you and give away this, will you go there? Even though it sounds crazy, and like, I don't know, Lord, like, I don't see how that could possibly be relevant to anything in my life, but will you do it? I mean, if they had, if they had not, if they had, if, what if they had come back with, like, look, this is crazy. You are Jesus. I am not putting you on a donkey. What if they went and, like, figured out some way to come back with a, with a horse, because that seemed more royal, man. They wouldn't even fulfilled that prophecy. And it might have looked to those people, oh, yeah, here comes our deliverer. Get the swords out, right? They did what he called them to because they heard his voice. And right now in his passages, they're really strong about hearing the voice 
of God, following him. Here's just a really simple prayer. God, give me ears to hear your voice and the faith to obey it. So will you steal the donkey if he calls you to? What's he calling you to do? And this one's tightly um, connected. So you go on, go on number two. Will you ride the donkey? Okay. Now, look, I got it. I know Jesus is the one that rode the donkey in the story, not you. But with doing that, Jesus had to humble himself. Okay. Jesus had to buck the expectations of society and culture and religion by hopping on the donkey and riding it into town. He, he humbled himself. That's the whole point of that, that passage in Zechariah, man. He'll come in with meekness and, and humility. He had, he had to do that. He had to humble himself. And you know what didn't matter? What other people thought. It just didn't matter. It didn't matter what they thought he should be riding, what they think he should be coming in to do, what they think he should be wearing. It didn't matter because he was not a slave to popular opinion. So that's a, that's a question. Will you ride the donkey? Are, are you a slave to popular opinion or are you a servant of the kingdom? Are you going to worry less about man's opinion and more about God's? I mean, that's straight out of the word. That's Acts, uh, Acts 529, man. They're, they're like, Peter, you know, the, the religious leaders are like, Peter, you got to stop with this Jesus stuff. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. I, I can't stop. And I know you want me to stop, but what he wants me to do is more important than what you want me to do. So will you worry less about man's opinion and more about God's? You know, culture says things like spend all your money on toys and then guard them with your life, right? Like don't touch my stuff because it's mine, right? Um, Religion says, well, you're closer to God if you do more. You do more for him. Man, you work hard, you'd be closer to God. I don't know why you're doing less. You You must not love God like me, right? Like, society tells us things like that. We're trying to tell you, we value, like, our core value is simpler living. We value simpler living so that, we can, so that we can give more to others and so that we can be a vessel which God uses, not locked up, tied up in, in, uh, in man-made prisons of debts and things like that, you know. Society, religion, people might tell you one thing. They might also tell you, yeah, you, that whole steal a donkey thing is crazy. You know, we've got missionaries that we support that are missionaries, even though their family said, no, you heard wrong, you, no. But they have gone and they've answered the call. So will you worry less about man's opinion and more about God's? Before I tell you the prayer for that one, listen, here's what this does not do, okay? This is not licensed to be a jerk, okay? Not a fruit of the Spirit or other adjectives that are better descriptors of jerk, but I'm not allowed to say. Like, those are not fruits. This does not mean, man, forget y'all. Jesus, I don't care what you think. doesn't matter what you think about me. Still, he came in humbly and with meekness. So there is truth to be had. There is truth to share. There is truth is a hill to die on, but it is not licensed for you to be unsavory in, in the meantime and to be, to have that kind of a nature. You know, Jesus, he even called us, he said, if you want to be great, make yourself last. Man, quit worrying, about, quit worrying about what you get from other people. Get on your knees and wash their feet and serve them and give to them. Here's, here's, a, here's a prayer to pray for this. So for will you ride that donkey? God, give me eyes to see your kingdom and the confidence to follow. And let me see your work where I go. Let me see what you're calling to me everywhere I go. Let me see your work in people, in situations, and help me to follow you. Not worried about what people, not letting external stimulus change what I am and what I do. All right? That makes sense. Number three, will you speak up? Okay? Will you speak up? Notice in verse 37 what it says. 
Go back to verse 37. We're almost done. As soon as he was approaching, see, all the ladies, all the ladies in the house began to praise God joyfully with loud voices. Not there. You know what it says? The whole crowd was not dependent on the ladies in the church to be singing loud and lifting their hands and worshiping him and proclaiming Jesus. That was you dudes too. That was the whole crowd. Matthew tells us it was even the kids. And Jesus really liked that because he started quoting the book of Psalms when the kids started speaking up. He said, man, that's the strength of God. The whole crowd of disciples were worshiping joyfully. They were praising God joyfully with loud voices. They were not very reserved, okay? And look, again, I'm not giving you a prescription here, okay? Don't hear that. But have you consciously or subconsciously kind of stripped emotion from your faith? I can't answer that for you. I can answer that for me, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I've been working on that for a long time. But yeah, have, have you, like, whether you meant to or not, stripped away emotion from this thing? And I'm almost to this point now where I feel like it's laughable to say things like, you know, we are not about emotion here. We are about truth. And I'm coming to the realization that if you take emotion out, if you take emotion out of the gospel, it's like food that doesn't have any flavor. I mean, it, it is, this is an emotional thing. Our, our faith is an, is an emotional thing. Listen, just because it's emotional doesn't mean it's not rational. Now, some of y'all need to get over that. Just because it's emotional does not mean it's not rational. Try this. He goes, try telling your wife, okay? Try telling your wife, you know what? I'm going to be a little more reserved about my affections for you. Because I'm afraid that when people see, you know, me really passionate about you, they might interpret that as just kind of putting on the show and I don't really mean it. And, and, you know, you're not, you know, I don't want them to see me in the wrong light. I just, I want, I want to just be about the truth of why I love you. And you know this. I don't really necessarily want to express that or let people in on that. Okay? Try that. Right? Man, nobody's, you'd never looked at your spouse and said, I need a little more less emotion to display to you how much I love you. How many spouses in the room would say, I would love some more emotion? Because it is an emotional thing. It is intimacy. It is love. It is a spiritual connection. It is a physical connection. Man, we don't, we don't pull emotion out of that, but we will do that with Jesus. So all I'm asking you to do is just reflect on does the hope and the joy and the peace of, of the gospel that you claim and that has changed your heart for real and for true Man, does it, is it come through on you? I mean, let me put it this way. Does your presence demonstrate that you live in his presence? Look, again, one more time. There is no prescription of this. We all function very differently in here. I'm asking you to reflect on if whether or not you can come a little more unhinged, is that all right, by the Spirit of God because of your love and passion, realization of who he is, what he has done. Man, would you just open up a little more? Are you willing? Are you receptive to him doing that kind of work in you? Does your presence demonstrate that you live in his presence? So here's a prayer to pray. God, let me be filled with passion and overflowing with joy. Paul says joy is something you can't keep in. Light is something that you can't keep hidden. Why on earth would you stick a light under a basket? It's no point. It's something that wells up and comes out of you so people can see it. And so by seeing it, they might be also have peace with God. So that's a prayer I pray all the time. God, let me be filled with passion and joy for who you are and what you've done. Don't let me hold back based on what Number two, 
people would think, or number one, because I might, might seem crazy. So good with that one? Here you go, number four. Will you stick it out? And we'll go real quick. The people shouted Hosanna until they realized that Jesus was there to deliver them from evil, not Rome. People have always shouted Jesus until things get hard. And they come, they, they go away because they can't handle this. Um, the opposite of that, things, people shout Jesus a lot of times until, until things get better. And then it's like, out. So we sort of make Jesus like this spiritual Gorilla Glue. Like, my, my daughter is obsessed with Gorilla Glue. It doesn't matter what brand I have. Everything's like, man, Gorilla Glue that, Dad. Fix that. Like, I don't know. Any, anything that falls apart, whether it's absurd, I don't know, put some Gorilla Glue on it. We do that with Jesus sometimes. When it gets hard, we come and we need Jesus. We need some presence. And then when it gets better, we bounce. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to make a conclusive statement here, but I might, it's, it's possible that if that's kind of the camp that you live in, that's why you're here right now, things might actually get better because you're actually in the presence of people that love you and that care for you and that act with kindness and serve you. And that feels good, and we all want that kind of thing. We need relationship. But then you leave, and then you're back in a bad spot because, like, it's not actually Jesus working in your life. That might be the case. Maybe not. I don't know. But are you sticking it out whether it's tough or whether it has gotten good? We, um, we shout Jesus until he doesn't do what makes us happy. Or we shout Jesus until he asks too much of us. Prayer. Here's a simple prayer to pray for that, and I did rip this one off. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. With our minds all the time, we pray the opposite. I've never actually heard anybody pray this with their mouth, but with our minds all the time, do you not know that we are always saying, my will be done in heaven as it is on earth? Man, will you humble yourself, submit yourself to what he wants and ride that through following his lead, whether he turns left or right, up or down. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to follow with Jesus. Man, those passages are really strong, too, by the way. And you're gonna, we're going to dig into that in community groups a lot, too. So will you steal the donkey? Will you do what he's calling? And will you seek his voice, even if it sounds ridiculous? And then will you ride it? You know, will, will you do what he's called, even when people think that you're making a mistake or people think you have it wrong? Will you speak up? Will you just seek God and pray for passion and, and let the joy in you pour out? Will you stick it out? Will you stay with him and shout, God's salvation is here no matter what? Reflect on those things this week. There's one more. Will you get started? And look, I'm just speaking here now quickly to those of you in the room who have not put your faith in Jesus and we talked about the king all morning. He's your king too. He is here ready so that you might have peace with God. And if Jesus is the king and that changes everything, then it especially changes things for you because salvation has come. So maybe your question today is about you choosing to follow Jesus. If he's the king the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and you can have your sins forgiven and be reconciled to God and inherit eternal life through believing in him and following him, then are you saying, count me in? That's the good news. That is all that comes with following Jesus. So my, my I guess, I don't have a prayer for you other than if you want to come up here, I'll pray with you. Because there's no magic like um, prayer things. That we, we just need to come talk. Come, come talk to me and, and leaders after we say amen and leave. Saying, yeah, I want, I want to know Jesus. I want the peace that comes of knowing him. I want the salvation that has come on a donkey into Jerusalem and laid his life down for me. So I want to I wanna just pray these things for you and we're out of here, Okay. Can we do that? I want to pray these things for you, and you're going to get up, 
and then you were going to go eat lunch, and you were going to honor your waiter and waitress and tip them really well and let the light of Christ shine in you. And this week, what resonated in your soul deep down, I want you to push in to the Lord on. That's all I'm asking. Those notes are online if you didn't have a chance to jot down. Okay, I want to pray these, I want to pray these really simple prayers over you. And then if you are not question number five and you want to know Jesus, you come find me, other leaders up front. Let's let you begin a relationship following him. Okay, here we go. Father, thank you for this uh, passage. Thank you for speaking to us through it. God, I pray that you did speak to us through it, not just me. I pray, God, that, that you would give us ears to hear you and faith to obey your voice. Help us to hear what you're calling us to and the faith to go through with it, God. I pray that you would give us eyes to see what you're doing around us, eyes to see the kingdom of God everywhere in everything, and help us to follow you, to be confident that we have heard you, God. Help us to follow you in that. So whether it's in our homes or in restaurants or work or at the gas station, God, I pray you'd help us to see your call, and how you want us to humbly insert ourselves into that situation for the sake of the good news. God, will you let us be filled with passion and overflowing with joy? God, will you help us men to take cue from the ladies and the children and fill in our churches to push in harder, to to worship louder, to come a little unhinged, quit worrying about what looks right and what doesn't, what's too emotional and what's too not. God, I pray that you'd help us to worship you in spirit and in truth and be overflowing with joy. Give us passion, God. And Lord, I pray that what Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And help us follow you and what you want no matter what. God, we praise you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.